Have we realised it's a week before Christmas? Are we aware of that? This time next week we will be sipping Malbec or Schleur, possibly, watching Home Alone, perhaps changing those batteries for the 15th time on the kids' toys. Where will we be next Sunday? Who's excited for Christmas? Wow, I was expecting that. That's good. Everyone prepped and ready, got your shopping done, everything sorted? Not so much, me neither, but that's good. But what I want to do tonight is just spend a few moments looking at the hope of Jesus this Christmas. That might surprise you coming to a church, I don't know. But what I want to do is amidst all the chaos of busyness and unwrapping presents and wrapping presents and Christmas parties and the stress and craziness of this time of year is just to pause and to look at the hope we have in Jesus. I was actually chatting to my son who's five yesterday. He was here, but he's left, so maybe he heard I was speaking next. But I asked him, I said, what is the meaning of Christmas? And he said, it's about presents. And I said, you need to be here tomorrow night to learn it's not just about presents. It's the best thing, it's good, maybe, but let's really look what is the hope of, G- of Jesus in this Christmas period. I want to just spend a few moments looking at the passage that Philip read in Isaiah 9. And I actually spoke about this passage at the Golf Tavern a few weeks ago. It was the Church's League football night out. You'd think that'd be a nice, pleasant occasion. Not after a few pints and lots of people there who, you know, just had opinions on everything. And not all of them church go, should we say. And there I was, just as I got up, and a guy said, shut it, you're boring. So... For me, tonight's already been a huge success because it hasn't happened, okay? So this is already far better than that. But what I want to do is just unpack that passage. And what I want to suggest tonight is that we want to look back at where we've been, look at where we are currently and think about where we're heading. But how do we look to Jesus? How do we look back to the life of Jesus, to the person of Jesus, to look forward with hope? But I thought we'd start with a bit of fun and... You might not find this fun. We're going to do a quiz, and you haven't really got a choice beyond leaving. So we're going to go for a quiz. What we're going to do is we're going to have a few rounds of a quiz, and there's going to be pictures of particular years. And in the picture, there's going to be a photo of the World Cup winner of that year. So that narrows it down to every four years. Certain things that were key of that year. And also, if the tech team get this right, we're going to play the Christmas number one of that year. Excited or what? Yeah? Cool, calm down. This is just an just a average quiz at church. Right, so let's get to the first one. We'll play the song as well. Okay, that's enough, Michael. That was Green Green Grass of Home by the one and only Tom Jones. I had to put that in, didn't I? That was England winning the World Cup in 1966. Arguably the dif- most difficult. Yes, exactly, yes. Keep clapping. Everyone else is looking like they're going to throw things at me. Please don't. Right, next one. Let's go to the next one. Any guesses? Wait, wait let's have a music as well. Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day And man will live Okay, let's cut that classic tune, Mary's Boy Child by Boney M. Any guesses of a year? 78, that's good effort. How do you know that? Where does it say that? Okay, so that's ruined this. Cool, um, next one. OK, 
okay, you've got to love a bit of Cliff. Is it Christmas until you hear a Cliff Richard tune? What year are we saying? What was that? 94, any takers, any advance on 94? 98, the correct answer is 1990. Okay, back in the day, who had a snares? Anyone else have a snares? They were brilliant, right? And a Tamagotchi, who remembers Tamagotchis? Yes, Kirsty's got a Tamagotchi still, apparently. There we go, next one, number four. Okay, I was tempted to get you on your feet to dance to that absolute belt of a tune, Song of the Underground by Girls Aloud, but what year was it? What were we saying? 2002? Correct, good effort. Ronaldinho, one of the heroes of the World Cup that year, winning it with Brazil. We also have a slight advancement. That's actually the first year of a camera phone, 2002, so learning everything tonight, aren't we? And next one, the final one. A young looking Emma Watson. Oh, what a tune! Some people wait a lifetime. Alright, pause, that's enough. And what year are we saying? 2010, in advance of 2010? 2006 is correct. That's Emma Watson, a young Emma Watson. And look at that phone, that's pretty snazzy. Some of you. I've still got that kind of phone, I know, I've seen them. But let's move on. That was actually more fun than I was expecting. I, you engaged with that far more than I was expecting. But what I want to do just for a few moments is to look back and to reflect on the last few years and to reflect where we currently are in order to look forward. And of course, there's been some real advancements in technology. There's been some really positive, thing, for positive things that have happened, some real advancement and growth. But equally, even when we think about the last year, we've had the war in Ukraine, we've had Brexit, well, kind of. We've had more prime ministers than hot dinners. We've had a monarchy change. We've had the injustices in Qatar, the financial climate, which is a very real problem for even some of us here tonight. Then we've got the ongoing challenges of racial injustice and climate change and other challenges like that. And here we are in a situation where, if we're honest, it can look bleak and it can look messy, it can look tricky, it can look like we're in turmoil, it can look dark and difficult. Of course, there's huge advancements. Of course, there's lots to celebrate. But let's say it doesn't look like we're in a safe and secure world like perhaps we once thought we were. Perhaps we've lost our way. Have we started to, to question where we're heading? We've started to question the roadmap. We've started to question, are we able to journey on knowing where we should be heading, trusting God with our future? We feel unsettled. We feel uncertain. And as I was thinking about this, I was reflecting on the fact that years ago, back in the day, you might remember this, we used to have these big A3 road atlases. Let's have a look at that. Remember those? Anyone still got one of those? Classic, okay. I was going to mock you guys, but I'm not sure I'm brave enough. My parents have one. It's always behind the passenger seat. That's right, isn't it? Always behind the passenger seat. And you kind of drive along, and you have it on the passenger seat when you're driving, and it's kind of dangerous. But then what happened was there was this huge advancement in technology, and then we got the AA printed directions. Who remembers those? You would go on and you Google your directions and you print them out and you'd put them on the passenger seat next to you. Again, pretty dangerous. And you would drive along and you would look at your directions and try and work out where you're going. And it was absolutely brilliant until there was a diversion because it didn't have the way on the route plan. 
And I kind of feel it's a bit like that where we are today. We felt like we knew where we were going. We felt like we knew where we were heading. We feel like we've lost the way. We're not quite sure of the route map. We're not quite sure of the steps we're meant to take. Perhaps more so than ever, we're confused and a bit bewildered. But when we look at the passage that Philip read to us tonight, we realize it was similar circumstances. They too had lost their way. And in the verse before Philip read, it actually said, there will be no gloom. There was a sense of gloominess. They were walking in gloom, other translations say. And this was written 700 years before Jesus. And there was desperation. There was impatience about the arrival of the Messiah. There was injustices. There was pain. There was struggle. There was also these conflicts going on. And it talks straight into the heart of these conflicts. And what was happening was Assyria was this global superpower dominating with brutality and callousnessness. And we're taking over that side of the world. And then Israel and Syria were in the north. And they were trying to fight Judah and force Judah to get alongside them to take on Assyria. There's this turmoil, this battle, this conflict going on, this war zone that's depicted in this passage. And what happens actually is Judah then side with Assyria and take on Israel and Syria. So you've got Assyria and Judah taking on Assyria and Israel in the north. And then he speaks into this and says, but where there is gloom, we read on, there is glory in verse 1 before we read. It says, in the latter time he has been made glorious, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, there is glory. God's glory is unraveling. And beyond the gloom, there is glory, there is hope because of Jesus. And the writer, Isaiah, is wanting us to have this ascending joy, to build up momentum, to look through this passage with excitement, with anticipation. Because when we look at the situation, we look around us, we think that it's gloomy, we think it's dark, we think it's desperate. We realize there's hope, there's steadfastness, there's security, there's peace, there's joy, there's strength in the hope of the Messiah. And we see in this passage that because of the Messiah, there's light amidst darkness there's joy amidst pain. There's oppression ceasing. The yoke and the heaviness of the world will be departed. It's going upon God's shoulders. You see, for us, a child is born. For me, a child was born. For you, a child was born. The Savior came to earth for me, for you, for us. But it's important we also recognize it's for us. Have we become too individualistic or too... Me, me centered as a culture, but he's saying, no, no, for you as a people, I've come. Amidst this war zone, amidst this conflict, amidst this pain and suffering and struggle, I've come. To us, a child is born. To our nation, to our world, to our church, there is hope. Where there seems to be gloom, there is glory because of Jesus, of what he has done, and because he's here and now and present with us this evening. For us, a child is born. And then we unpack who this child is, we unpack who the Messiah is, and we realize the excitement, the anticipation, the strength of character, the goodness and godliness and the power in this individual. He's wonderful counselor. And perhaps a better translation is wonderful in counsel because he's good at supporting and directing and giving wisdom and giving advice. And this is significant because when we're feeling helpless, when we're feeling broken, when we're feeling in need, we can turn to him for the direction of the hope, the best, the perfect counsellor. But it's also significant, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I find that everyone's got an opinion about everything. And so often we can feel unsure of where to go, unsure of where to head, but we can turn to him for direction, for purpose, for hope, for clarity. I was chatting to someone just before the gathering tonight, 
And they're a church goer, they're part of this church family. And they were saying, like me, the more you seem to follow Jesus, the more perhaps you feel unsure of what you really believe, if you're honest. There seems more questions than answers at times. Of course, we know the truth we hold to, but there's also complexities and challenges and unknowns and uncertainties. But we trust our future to God. We come to him because he's wonderful in counsel. He wants to give us advice. He wants to show us where to tread. He wants to step before us. He wants to hold our hand and journey with us. He's a wonderful counselor. And then we see he's the everlasting father. And we know that God is father, son, and Holy Spirit. But that's really not what Isaiah is talking about here. He's saying that his nature is that of a good and perfect father. As I said earlier, my two sons are actually in the balcony. And I have days where I'm an okay father, but days where I muck it up. But here we have an everlasting and eternal father who is good and able and steadfast and secure and trustworthy. And that matters because he's here for eternity. And we can turn to him with our hopes and our burdens, with our joys and our pains, with our strengths and our challenges and say, God, help me. He is trustworthy because he's eternal. He is trustworthy because he's steadfast and able and secure. Not changing and up and down with emotions like me and you. But he is stable. He is the everlasting father. We can trust him. And then we see he's the prince of peace. And how we desperately need inner peace within us. How we desperately need peace within our city. How we desperately need peace within our nation and our world. But interestingly, this is talking more than that kind of peace. It's talking about shalom, wholeness, blessing, goodness. And we understand that as we turn to Jesus, that all our hopes and dreams are fulfilled in him. All our understandings and provision of this world is found in him. You see, we can get distracted this time of year by the presents and the families and the friends and the social occasions. We can easily lose sight of where our real hope and strength and security and belonging comes from. Ultimate peace and joy is found in him. We turn to him amidst the storms and the strains of this life, and he provides us with peace. We turn to him as a nation when things feel desperate, and he's the prince of peace. He cares for us. He loves us. He values us, and he's right on the side of our prayers and in our hands. We turn to him and say, Lord, we're desperate. Come to us. And he's almighty God. When things feel despair in our own lives or in our nation or in our political situation in the world around us, He's almighty, he's all good, he's powerful. He's able to turn any situation around. The situation Isaiah was referring to was desperate, but it changed when Jesus arrived. Not with power and obliteration, but with humility and his godly character and dependence on his father. Almighty God who forgives us of our sins, who offers us eternal life, who lived and died and rose again for me, for you, He comes to us. This is who we're talking about, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor. He is the one who's here tonight and present, what we've been worshipping. But here's the thing that I want to say. Here's what's really critical in this passage. Here's the pinch point. In this writing that Isaiah is talking about in the first part of his letter, there's an understanding that amidst this war and conflict and pain and struggle, amidst all the uproar, But the first to succumb to war and give up and turn away from a conflict are the first to receive a blessing. 
But first to have the humility to step away from the brokenness and pain and say, you want to turn to God and not to our own human strength, not to our own powers and our own response to the injustices, and the first to receive the blessing. That is how they found their way again. That is how we find our way again, by having humility to turn to God. Are we willing to do that tonight, to turn to him with humility and saying we can't solve it? It's beyond us. The troubles in our own lives, the troubles in our nation, the troubles in our world are beyond us. But there's hope and strength and joy in you, Jesus, and we want to turn to you. You see, when Jesus came into the world 700 years later, again, there was this superpower Rome who were dominating and obliterating things. There was the political left who were largely the Sadducees who were living in the, the towns and the cities and were succumbing to the society and were giving into the Roman occupation, but were educated and were progressive and trying to challenge things. There was also the Pharisees who were largely right-wing, as it were, and were out on the, the villages and were pointing their finger inwardly. And that's an oversimplification, but it's broadly what was happening. But Jesus comes, and he doesn't side with the Roman occupation. He doesn't side with the Pharisees. He doesn't side with the Sadducees. He shows a different way. He brings a new kingdom. He's a new king. He has a new rule and reign and says, will you submit and humble yourselves and follow me? Perhaps the question for us tonight is, are we willing to submit to a different authority in a world that wants all our answers and all our opinions and all the decisions we need to make on a daily basis? Perhaps it's about humbly coming before Jesus saying, we want to turn to you. We want you to have ultimate authority. We don't know what the future holds. We want to turn to you. Are we willing to humble ourselves before Jesus tonight, this Christmas? As we look back to the birth of Jesus, we look forward with hope. Because amidst the gloom, there is glory. Because he is the Prince of Peace in a fragile and unsettled world. He is the everlasting Father who loves and cares deeply for you and I. He is the wonderful counselor who knows better than anyone your pains and struggles that you're silently suffering tonight. And he's the almighty God who can turn around whatever you're going through, whatever this world is amidst the pain and struggle of. Are we willing to humble ourselves before him tonight, this Christmas, to give him the space to say, actually, God, I can't do it, but I know someone who can, and that's you, who lived and died and rose again for me. The hope is in Jesus. The hope is in Jesus. I was chatting to a friend just a few weeks back, and he had a big university reunion and he was at a bar getting himself a pint and he went back to the table to chat to his pals and they were asking me, saying, hey, Phil, you know, we've just had a chat and we were talking about who has been most successful since they left university. And my friend Phil is, you know, knocking out a park in ministry, you know, like me, kind of just living the high life. And, and he came back and they said, we've decided it's you. And he said he spat his beer out and started laughing. He said, me? I'm, I'm like in ministry. You guys are on three or four times more money than me. You work at Canary Wharf. You've done much better academically. You've got everything, a nice car. And they said, yeah, 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 but you just seem hope-filled. You seem content. You seem happy. And he said, you know what I'm going to say to you? It's because of my relationship with Jesus. And I know that's simplistic, and I know that's twee, but I think that's the answer for us tonight. That our hope is in Jesus we may feel lost and disorientated. We may feel like we've stepped away from a roadmap. And perhaps we're not meant to know the future. Perhaps we're not meant to have all the certainty and clarity of a way forward. 
And perhaps we have got lost amidst the noise and opinion and perspective always around us, including myself. And perhaps there's so many loud voices, we're not quite sure which one to listen to. But this isn't new. Humanity has felt disorientated time and time again. And God wants to come to us tonight and give him, our, as we trust him, he wants to give us direction and hope. He comes amidst the mess and pain of our life and gives the joys and the pains, the hopes and the regrets, the things you want to celebrate this Christmas and the things you want to forget. He comes to me and you just as we are tonight. He wants to bring hope this Christmas. He wants to be the center of this season. He wants to offer glory amidst the gloom. I hope we all have a great Christmas. I hope we know that God is Emmanuel with us and wants to care for us and journey with us. But I hope we also realize that the best gift is knowing Jesus, knowing that he wants a relationship with me, with you, that he wants to be that wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, almighty God. For us, a child is born. For us, the hope is in him. Are we willing to humble ourselves and turn to him this Christmas? He's reaching out his hand for you tonight. He's reaching out his hand to me this Christmas and saying, are you going to grab this? Are you going to get on your knees and humble yourself before me? I know your life might be difficult. You might have had a brilliant year. That's great. But I know there'll be people in this room who are struggling. But his hand has reached out for you and saying, look, trust me. Depend on me. Lean into me. I want to give you a hope and a future. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that over 2,000 years ago you came to earth. We thank you that for us a child was born. And I pray that we would tonight once again surrender ourselves to you. For those of us who have been followers of you for a while, I pray that we'd once again just come to you and say we want to humble ourselves before you. But for those of us who don't know you and perhaps are even wrestling with your existence, I pray that this Christmas they would encounter you where perhaps they've tried everything to find hope and meaning, I pray that they'd submit to you and see that there's real hope and life in you. Jesus, just come amidst us, we pray. Will your spirit be present? Will your spirit move amongst us? Will there be healing and restoration as we turn to you? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.